Start it off, Daniel. All right. One, two, two three, four, five, five six, six, seven, seven eight. Oh, eight. dang it. Uh, <laughs> I actually did it. I did it too. All right. Well, let's hop back into this episode two and three outline here. Did we talk about general material last time? <laughs> There's always more to say. Always more to say, yes. Okay, so we talked about general material, and then, like you were saying, Joel, we talked about the main units and breaking up the book. So we broke the book of Matthew into three parts. We have 1, 1 through 4.16 as the preparation of Jesus, Messiah, Son of God. 4.17 through 16.20 as the proclamation of Jesus, Messiah, Son of God, to Israel. And finally, 1620. Why do you always say it that way? What do you mean? Every time it's the same, like, set phrase. Like <laughs> Because I have the outline right in front of me. No, he's saying, like, the phraseology of Jesus, Messiah, Son of God. Mm, mm. Yeah, I mean, it's never just... Jesus. The, the Messiah or, the, you know, the Son of God or Jesus. Yeah, the reason for that is because each of these three sections climax in some sort of proclamation of Jesus as the Son of God. So, for example, the preparation climaxes in God the Father at Jesus' baptism saying, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. I mean, yeah, it's just interesting because we don't really usually talk like that, but... It definitely elicits a religious kind of feel. I, do you think there's something to say for if an out, the way we describe an outline to a book can sound uh, a little bit more down to earth, maybe? Like just saying Jesus' preparation for ministry as the first section. Well, it might not sound, be a bad thing. I mean, I, it kind of makes me think, too, of, you know, like, Your Majesty, may you live forever we're out of water or something. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, so... Uh, if we were to say it more simply, section one, Jesus' preparation for ministry. Section two is the proclamation of Jesus to Israel. Section three is the passion and resurrection of Jesus. Yes. I, okay, so you're saying that the titles are that way because that's such the, the central focus of what Matthew is trying to tell the people. Right. Really, the whole book is very focused on proclaiming jesus as the messiah son of god yeah so i don't think it needs to you know i'm uh oh oh he's gone oh no that's not good oh his computer crashed oh. that's weird um hey there he is this just started happening yesterday last night it crashed twice and just now it crashed i don't know it does the blue screen you know windows encountered a problem needs to close mm. anyway so after you have your outline and you have your units then you want to go in and recognize what we call structural relationships. Structural relationships to me is a weird term. And then when you start getting into the actual terminology of what they are, like some of them are obvious because we've heard of them in like literature class. Yeah. Um, so like this is example of stuff like contrast and comparison, mm -hmm. the way that different types of material relate to each other. Mm -hmm. And I just think it, as a preface, inductive Bible study kind of has its own language when it talks about some of this yeah. stuff. Uh, but hopefully we can kind of talk through some of those concepts. And it really does help you to understand the book if you understand kind of the way it's built. That's kind of what it's talking about. It's like, how is this book built? And so much of it we uh, just do intuitively as we read. You know, yeah. for example, contrast. If we're reading and it says, 
I'm going to walk over here, but he walked over there. Well, we all know that's contrast, but we never really recognize ah, it. <laughs> structural relationship of contrast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but like so many things, when you do intentionally point it out and when you stop and actually think about what you already know, but put language to it, then you can learn stuff. So let's talk about some of the structural relationships in the book of Matthew. Daniel, you tracking so far with that concept? Yeah, I initially assumed it was going to be something along the lines of like how you would relate if it's geographically focused versus something else, but it's kind of past that part. I guess you're just sort of talking about like literary themes in a way. Structure. Literary structure is what I would Mm. say. Mm -hmm. These are really can be really helpful in understanding the book and kind of the message of the book. Yeah. So here's an example, and that is recurrence of comparison. So recurrence just means it happens several times throughout the whole book. So multiple times we see comparison and we see it between Jesus and the expectations for the disciples. So Jesus is compared to what the disciples should act like. How the disciples should act? Yeah, yeah. The expectations for the disciples. So the way that this works is as you're reading through a book, you start noticing this kind of recurring theme. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. There's, there continues to be this comparison between Jesus and how he expects the disciples to act. Right. So you see Jesus casting out demons, and then you see Jesus telling his disciples to cast out demons. You see Jesus teaching, and then in the Great Commission, you have the command for the disciples to teach. Yeah, I mean, you always want to be looking for things that are recurring, recurring themes or phrases. Mm-hmm. In every book of the Bible, that's something to kind of keep an eye out in order to help you understand the focus and what the book's about. You always want to look at recurring themes and phrases. I'm trying to think of something that's not just like a emulate Jesus, you know? Yeah, so another thing that recurs in, in Matthew, for example, is language of the kingdom of heaven. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's a theme that you see in Matthew really heavy. Yeah, but then that sounds like getting back to the themes more than the structures of the story. Yeah, recurrence is a little bit different. Another one would be a recurrence of contrast between Jesus and the Jewish leaders. Okay. Um, and that's a very clear recurring theme throughout the book. Like them not wanting to do anything on the Sabbath and criticizing him for eating or healing somebody. Right. So I agree with Daniel that this is not quite as like structural in the way that you're thinking of these. But I think it's good to start with things that repeat because that's an easy place for us to start as we begin to do Bible study. Even if you haven't done much Bible study, you can start reading books and taking note of themes and phrases that are repeated. Mm-hmm. Another one that we've talked about a lot is just preparation, realization. And so we talked about that a lot, that the first major unit is preparation. Then essentially through the whole rest of the book, we see that being realized in Jesus' ministry. So that's another structure relationship, preparation, realization. Okay. Yeah, that's a bigger one like you're thinking of, Daniel. That takes the first section of the book, like the first three chapters, and relates it to the rest of the book. Mm -hmm. So it shows you the structure of the book. You've got these first three chapters that are preparing and they prepare the reader for the rest of the book. And so then when you look at those sections in that way, you can start saying, like, how do these first three chapters prepare the reader for what's to, what's going to come after? 
Here's a really interesting one that I feel like is very obvious. But again, it's it's one of those instances of just putting language to something that that we probably intuitively know. So it's contrasting causation. Okay. Causation is righteousness and salvation. So righteousness as the cause, salvation as the effect. What it's contrasting is wickedness and eternal condemnation. Okay. So wickedness cause, eternal condemnation effect. So that's a recurring contrasting causation in the book. The righteous will inherit salvation, the wicked, eternal condemnation. This sounds like it's a pretty broad term, the structural relationships. Yeah, it is. When you're in an actual Dr. Bauer inductive Bible study class, there's like a list of them that he gives out. So as you're doing your study, um, you can kind of look through the list and and see which ones are most prevalent. Mm -hmm. It makes it easier. Like we're just pulling them out of the air based on like (laughs) our own experience. It definitely helps when you have like a list to go off of. And it even in each one, it gives you some like key words. Okay. So with contrast, it'll say contrast is a structural relationship where two things are like pitted against each other. It explains it a little bit, you know, and then it says keywords are like, Mm. but, and however, however, there you go. Yeah. So, so there's like a cheat sheet. Yeah. The cheat sheet is very helpful. (laughs) Yes. We need to make that available. I don't think that's very inspiring to that. We'll put that in the show notes. (laughs) He gives 10 or maybe 12 structural relationships that you can look for, and it's really helpful. Anyway, you want to hear another example? So for, yeah, I would like to hear another example, but so far what I've got is just something to that can be helpful to be aware of in your reading is whenever the behavior of two different people or groups of people are contrasted and whenever you're seeing the results of, of behavior, that's specifically for Matthew he's talking about. He's describing themes and structures of the book of Matthew. And so you can describe these things in different ways. You don't have to use this like language that inductive Bible study uses, but you want to be able to notice like how is this book built or how are these different sections built? What is going on in the book? That's kind of like the heart of these questions or these relationships. Mm-hmm. And so even if you were to use different terms, you could just say, I notice Jesus is contrasted to the religious leaders throughout this book. Or, you know, the the actions of Jesus are different from the actions of the religious leaders. So you don't even have to use the word contrast. But it's just noticing those sorts of things. Specifically noticing patterns. And recognizing that the author intentionally wrote those in to try to convey something. So clearly, Matthew wanted us to see that there was a big difference between the things Jesus was saying and doing and the things the religious leaders were saying and doing. Further down in the study, when you eventually get to interpretation, interpreting the passage, and then like, how does it apply? Interpreting it is what does it mean that Jesus is contrasted with these religious leaders? And then how does that apply to my life? So these things you're noticing then go all the way to the point of like applying it. Does that make sense? Yes. Another kind of obvious one is climax. So the whole book is moving to a point of climax, which is the passion and resurrection. That's something that's good to try to identify in every book of the Bible you read, too. Um, I don't know if every book has a climax, but you're supposed maybe. to. <laughs> does every book, does you're, it, you're supposed does every book to have a climax. Believe, yeah, you're supposed to be taught that every story has a rising action, climax. Falling I'm thinking action. of like the letters. Like, what about the letters? 
Uh, yeah, if it's a story, I guess, then it's supposed to have a climax. Mm. I feel like in most of the times that I've studied, I'd try, I've at least tried to identify a climactic moment. Mm-hmm. Is is That would be like, is Paul's argument in these letters building to a specific point of climax? When you get into... When you do, I don't know when that you get into something has like to be a there. letter, then I think you also would get into things like, you know, does the news have a climax? Does a podcast have a climax every time? Yeah, so probably not. Usually it's if there's a narrative story, I would think. I still think that's always a good question to ask in every book of the Bible you read. Is there a climax here? Because then yeah. that gets you thinking along those lines, is this is there an argument here that's building? And maybe there's maybe you decide that there's not, but I think you should always ask yourself that. So those are two things you guys can start asking yourselves as you're studying the Bible. What things am I seeing that are repeated in this book? And then is there a climax in this book? There we go. That's good. Here's one that I really like that I'm excited about. This structural relationship is called inclusio. And essentially... So it's, you can now sound like a seminary student by using the word inclusio. You too. Any, any, any other <laughs> So basically this just means that a word or phrase is repeated. You think of it like a bracket. So two different words or phrases that bracket material and everything inside that is colored by that inclusio. For this one, we need to look at examples. So Psalm 8, verse 1 says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is thy name in all the earth. Then you have the entire chapter, and then verse 9 says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is thy name in all the earth. In this case, it's the exact same verse, and so we're meant to read that entire chapter in light Mm. of that phrase. So everything that comes between is describing or illustrating how that phrase is true i like what paul said earlier he said it's colored by it so sometimes it's not like a super direct connection but there's some level of that idea like mm-hmm. being in your mind so an example from matthew is chapter 4 verse 23 one of you want to read that chapter 4 23 i'll do it on my paper bible Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Okay, so then Joel, read chapter 9, verse 35. My computer's not connected to the internet. Oh, no. You need the internet to read Matthew your Bible. Oh, my gosh. Can't even read their Bible without an internet. All right, Matthew nine thirty-five. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. Okay, so you see how those are very, very similar? Yes. So inside that, it is colored. So will they always be like almost the same phrase? Sometimes it might be just like a more of an idea. You don't want to stretch too much and fit something in that's not there. My instinct would be to think that there might be times where... uh, Can there be times where something like that is repeated without there being intent for the content between them to be in that context necessarily? Maybe. I think that's a potential. It's a good question. Noticing these things is in order that you can ask good questions about the text. And so in that case, it would lead to the fact that Maybe it's not. Yeah, I think in, in this case, it's pretty clearly a kind of not to confuse with the previous topic, but kind of climactic 
phrases, giving an overview. Or transitional, strategic. We'll say strategic phrases. Mm-hmm. And we actually do this in like preaching and, and teaching sometimes when we're trying to make a really good point. I did a sermon on the character of God and God's desire to be found. Mm-hmm. And so I like use the phrase, God wants to be found. And then I did, I used that toward the beginning of my message. And then I used it at the very end of my message as a way to like tie everything back together. Yeah, that's good. Riley does this to me all the time. <laughs> I'm going to the store. I'm going to get eggs and bread. I'm going to the store. <laughs> Usually it takes more than two times for me to really grasp it. <laughs> uh, okay, here's the one here that go. I really like in Matthew though. Yeah. So Matthew 1 verse 23. Oh, I'll read it. Oh, good. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Awesome. And then at the very end of the book, chapter 28, 20. I bet it says the virgin will conceive. The <laughs> <laughs> whole book. Yeah. Okay. So it's the Great Commission, and it ends with teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always to the close of the age. The entire book of Matthew is colored by this idea of withness. The author wants us witness. to know that <laughs> witness, right? Jesus. Did you say witness or witness? Yeah. <laughs> With. That's what I thought. That's oh what I thought. Gosh. But then it sounded like Joel said witness. So I was like. <laughs> You're ruining my point. <laughs> sorry, 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 sorry. All right, let's start it over. Sorry, okay, W I T H dash ness. I, yeah, that's what I thought you said, but then it's how I thought Joel said witness. So, okay. Witness. Yeah, go sorry, back to your point, sorry, Paul. Sorry. This is a great point. So, yeah, the author wants us to realize that the entire book is colored by this idea that Jesus is with us. And even to the extent that the book ends and he's still there. In fact, the last, very last thing he says is, I am with you. There's not an ascension. So anyway, I thought that was really cool. That's huge. And when you, if you find those kind of things on your own, it's very exciting. Um, that's one of the reasons, like we talked about in the first episode, not going to a commentary too quickly. Right. Because commentaries will point this out. But if you find it on your own, it's like, it's really exciting. <laughs> I'm sorry. You don't need to do that part again. I just, it's just so funny to me that Daniel's just gone. <laughs> 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 Okay, sorry. So noticing things like inclusios, especially in Matthew, in this example, where it's the first chapter and the last chapter, mm-hmm. it takes a pretty careful eye. You have to be really paying attention. And it also shows one of the reasons it's, it can be helpful to read a whole book in one sitting or yeah. at one time. Yeah, you'd never notice it if you took 28 days to read through it. Exactly. I don't know if Daniel's going to come back or what. Should we tell people? Hey, there we go. Oh, good. It keeps crashing. Uh, oh, boy. That's all right. We're, I mean, we're pretty far in, so we're doing okay. Yeah, at least it goes for a good 20 minutes. All right, so we already talked we, we talked through that concept a little bit, Daniel. But just if you have any comments. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, you guys have already talked about it some, but I think the, the sort of the commitment to that inclusio was so great that there's not even an ascension. That stuck out to me as really emphasizing how important that theme or that aspect of the story is to Matthew. Yeah. yeah, that one was really exciting to me when I heard about that. It also definitely makes me think of the whole judges thing about, you know, the, there was no king and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. It's mm-hmm. a good example. 
that one repeats so many times and it's so obviously mm. the reason for everything that's going on in the latter portion. Yep. That's a great example of one that you've been able to pick up on though, whether that's an inclusio or a repetition or however you would want to like describe that. Mm-hmm. If you were looking at that mm. phrase more specifically, the fact that you've noticed that, you know, kind of just shows how we do do this intuitively when we're reading through a book or like trying to understand a book, mm. but then like trying to voice them and talk through them is kind of taking it to the next level. I definitely think when it repeats multiple times, it's easier to pick up on than when it's something like the Matthew example, which is really, you know, when when you hear it, you're like, oh, wow, that's cool. That's great. But because of the amount that happens in between, I think it would be harder for the average person to just pick up on. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Insert the section about reading the book as a whole. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Good editing. I'm going to just briefly give a couple more examples from Matthew, and then we'll round out this book as a whole survey. So another one would be generalization of the audience of Jesus. So generalization just meaning that it's getting more general as the book goes. So most of Matthew is directed towards the Jews, but by the end we see that it's a message for all nations. That's an inclusio? Or that's just structural? That's a structural relationship called generalization. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Yeah, well, I think that was the last example I had, actually. (laughs) Glad I could give a punch quickly there. You might have to, uh, yeah, maybe instead of saying some more examples, you can say another example. Yeah, I'll just chop out that. So I'm going to give examples. (laughs) Take out the S at the end. Before we move on from structural relationships, let me say again i think that some people can get lost in this concept because it can seem very like you're in the weeds Mm. and the the more you start looking for these sorts of things the better you'll get at it and again like you don't have to have the cheat sheet that we talked about you can just describe things that you see going on in the book Um, but it is very helpful so a good example is in the book of genesis where as you read through the book of genesis there's two major sections of the book. The beginning of the book, the first 11 chapters, is everything before Abraham. Okay, so it talks about creation, the fall, Babel, the flood, all this like cosmic, like global stuff. Mm-hmm. And then in chapter 12, Abraham is introduced and the rest of the book is following Abraham's family. Okay, so just to give you like a, a little snapshot of this book. So then one thing you can do if you have two major sections like that You have the first 11 chapters and then 12 through 50. How do those two sections relate to each other? It's called structural relationship. What is the relationship between this first section and this second section? Does that make sense? Uh, Somewhat. I mean, my instinct first when I'm asked that question, how they relate to each other, would be to assume is there some sort of commonality. But relating doesn't necessarily mean that there's... Mm -hmm. It could just be that they're different, right? Yeah, so based on your familiarity with the book of Genesis, can you think of how you might describe the relationship between those two sections? Well, earlier you mentioned generalization. I would think it's the opposite of like specification. Oh, nice. Yeah. That was pretty good from just hearing my one example about generalization. <laughs> so one that I think is really important. So that's, that's a big one. But another component here in Genesis is you see a problem and then a solution. Okay. So the first section is really focused on the problem that came because of sin. And then the second section is focused on the solution. And I would say what you describe this 
particularization or things getting more specific is a part of that. That in order to solve the problem, God got very specific and started with one person. So you see how when you are able to see these two major sections of this book and then think about how they relate to each other, it can then give you a better understanding of the book as a whole and like what's going on in the book of Genesis. Sometimes asking a question like I'm about to ask might be getting too into, you know, thinking of it in terms of narrative instead of what God actually did or what was like the history of it. But it seems like that solving the problem by going to one person already happened with Noah. But it didn't really work, I guess, or it didn't stick. But it doesn't stick a, with Abraham so either. If you were studying Genesis, which we're not right now, um, that would be a great question to ask. Like, what's the difference between what happens with Noah and what happens with Abraham? Hmm. That kind of goes into the next section of the study, which is asking the interpretive questions. So whenever you make an observation about one of these relationships, you want to ask questions about it, not even thinking about the answers, but just putting out questions. And then when you move into interpretation, those are the questions you'll be mm -hmm. trying to answer. Yeah, so every basically every observation you have, you can start asking questions about it. I mean, asking questions is a huge component of of studying a book or really learning about anything mm. is asking questions. And so I would just encourage everybody listening, that's another thing you can start doing immediately in your Bible study is like asking mm. questions of the text. And then when you get to this like kind of what Paul's saying where you're asking questions about these themes or relationships structure that you're noticing. Um, those are great questions to ask that'll that'll help. So yeah, for Matthew, why is this inclusio here? Why is this theme of Jesus being with us so important in this book? Mm -hmm. Or earlier when we talked about contrast of Jesus and the religious leaders, mm -hmm. why does Matthew contrast Jesus and the religious leaders? How do I see that contrast developed through the book? What does that contrast you know, mean for me? Um, these are the sorts of questions you can ask when you notice something like that. And then when you start trying to, eventually, when you when you move into interpretation, you're going to be answering those questions. And so that's when you really, when you're focused on answering those questions, it really goes somewhere. It seems a little strange to say, like, first we just ask the questions and don't worry about the answer, and then later go back and worry about the answers, though. Because the instinct is you're going to ask and then I'll automatically be thinking about, you know, is this a good question? Why am I asking this question? Oh, the answer must be this, you know, or maybe it's not this, or maybe there's no answer. You know? Yeah, I would say that initially, like in, in this phase where you're observing, you're gathering data. Mm -hmm. And so you want to like hold off your answers until you've gathered as much data as you can. And then when you move to interpreting, you want to kind of pick which question or questions you're going to focus on so you don't get too scattered. If we started trying to answer each of these questions, like it, we would, you know, take forever. Just based on what we've talked about, Matthew, today, we could ask 50 questions. Yeah, I think there are some, probably some people out there who this can be, it can be a really good thing to start building that habit of asking questions and not necessarily needing to have like a preset answer, catechismic kind of answer to it. To be able to just use it as a tool for asking God to show you things. It's amazing, even in this semester, how I've seen that when you take time, to ask those questions, how much God starts to show you, even just as it relates to context, reading a chapter or a series of verses over and over and over and just looking at them, it's so cool to see how many things I feel like I start to observe and start to learn mm. concepts that become kind of transformative. So start asking questions as you read the Bible. I keep thinking of that phrase of like, 
God said it, I believe it, that settles it. The intent of those, obviously, is a good thing. But the negative side of that is for people to just kind of be like, you know, don't question it. And there's a difference between questioning the structure of the themes or the messages that are in there versus questioning, you know, is it true? <laughs> I think you're right. Those those sorts of phrases are definitely meant positively, mm-hmm. but we want to be devoted to scripture. That devotion towards something is it definitely would include this sort of intentionality to it. After you raise questions, then you can locate key passages. Then after that, you can note higher critical data, which just means who was the writer, who's the audience, those kind of observations. And then finally, at the very end, any other major impressions that you had of the book. So that is what is involved in a book as a whole survey. Any questions on that before we move on? To summarize... Studying a book as a whole, inductively, would be the first you pull out the general material, which is where we talked about those main categories of what the book is trying to say. Then dividing it into parts that just bring about the narrative in sections. Outline. Yeah. Then talking about structural patterns that we see. Mm-hmm. Then asking questions, specifically in terms about like, why is it like this? Or just any kind of questions. All questions are good. Okay. But the heart is based on these structures that you've seen and these relationships. Then locating key passages. Again, is that specifically to answer the questions or just in general passages that stand out? The way that I did it for my assignments is basically I found a key passage that illustrates each relationship I had noted. Mm -hmm. So for example, if it's the contrast with Jesus and the religious leaders, I would find the passage that I feel like is the most key example of that contrast. Okay. Yep. But it's also good to notice any other just key passages in the the book. Like you can just be reading a book and be like, this is definitely a key Mm -hmm. passage. You want that to then make you ask those kind of backwards questions. Okay, is there a relationship here that I missed? If there's this key passage and I don't have like a some sort of structure or relationship hmm. oriented around it, maybe I missed something. Okay. Then it's bringing in the context of things you know about the culture, the author, the time period, things like that. Mm-hmm. And that's just stuff found within the book. Oh, just within so, the book. Okay. Yeah. So for example, when you're talking about, okay, who was the writer of this book? Technically, it's anonymous, the book of Matthew. The writer never identifies himself in the text. However, you could say things like he was probably Jewish because there are several references to fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. There's repeated references to Old Testament characters. There's a concern with the genealogy. So you have these clues as to who the author is. Okay. And then author, basically. So that's the book survey. And I would say in any time you're doing Bible study, you want to actually begin with prayer. That should be like your step zero Mm. is start with prayer that God will guide you and reveal what he wants, what he wants to reveal to you through that process. So that's good. And they actually talked about that in the class, which I really appreciated. So looking at each of those points, would you have a separate reading for each? I usually don't. Depending on the book, you know, you can read it more or less. (laughs) You know, if you're doing Philippians... You can definitely read that a lot more than Mm -hmm. Isaiah. But you do want to read through, like we said, the goal is to read through the book beforehand without making any of these notes, really, Mm -hmm. at least one time. And then as I'm finding all these others, I'm like kind of reading through the book again or like skipping around the book again, spending a lot of time in the book, but I'm not necessarily reading it from start to finish on each of these points. Okay, good. Good. 
congratulations. We have officially made it through a book as a whole survey. So the next thing as far as the inductive Bible study goes is we'll do a segment survey. Very similar, but you're just doing it with the length of about a chapter. Yep. You almost do the same thing, but just in a much smaller scale. A lot easier. Yeah. <laughs> At least yeah. less time consuming. Mm. And yeah, you can be so much more thorough. What about missional formations? Is that also going to be next time? Yeah. So let's talk just a little bit about missional formation. We don't need to talk as long about this. But there's just a few little things that I wanted to hit Things on. gone. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Why don't we start with this next time? Um, we pretty much wrapped it. Yep. I think. I'm stopping recording. Okay. Okay.